I hope that every one of you loved hearing the words that were read to you. Psalm 2, Luke 1, Matthew 21, Acts 2. Wonderful statements of true history. A virgin brought forth the Son of the Highest. Who was to sit on the throne of his father David and rule his kingdom forever. So that 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the crucifixion, Peter could stand in the day of Pentecost and say, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, Lord and Christ, anointed King and Lord of His kingdom. Brother Newell said it already, but when the Word of God is opened to us and the gospel of Jesus is declared by those words, that there is a king that rules heaven and earth. It ought to humble our souls, quicken our affections, enliven our minds, and stir us to want to worship him. He is a great king and a glorious one. And this day we just want to take a little while and consider his coronation. A king does not become a king unless he's crowned. A king does not become a king unless he's given a throne. A king is not truly a king unless he's given a scepter. He's not truly a king unless he has reigning and ruling power. And the Lord Jesus Christ has all those, and the Bible repeats them over and over. We've never seen a king, so we're at a disadvantage. We've never seen real power, so we're at a disadvantage. We've just got to trust the Word of God and think upon how Jesus became a king. We can see some coronations in the Bible. When Saul became king of Israel, Samuel gathered the whole nation together and said, I want the tribes to pass before me. Out of those twelve tribes, God chose the tribe of Benjamin. Then the families of Benjamin passed before Samuel. The family of Kish was chosen by the Lord. Then among all the sons of Kish, Saul was identified as being the first king of Israel. They couldn't find him. The Lord told Samuel he's hiding in the stuff. So they went and pulled him out. And when they pulled this man out, he was from the shoulder up taller than anyone else in Israel. And Samuel said, this is the king that the Lord has chosen for you. And they said, God save the king. And they had themselves a king. And the Lord changed Saul's heart so that he would become a great, a great king, and he changed the hearts of some men that were with him, that they would follow him. And so we had a coronation there of the first king of Israel. Now David's was much more magnificent than Saul's. When all the mighty men of valor came together of Israel into Hebron and made him king, there's whole chapters of the Bible dedicated to the description of how many were there and how they were of one heart and of one mind to make David king, and they had a three-day feast. A three-day feast to glorify and honor David as the king of Israel. And all their hearts were one to make him king. I tell you these because the whole Bible is full of things that if we'll read the whole Bible, we can understand what a coronation must have been like, even if we've never seen one up close and personal. Athaliah was a descendant 
of Ahab and Jezebel. And she killed all the royal sons so that she could be queen. But one of the greatest figures in the Bible, and you may not know his name well, his name is Jehoiada. One of the greatest figures in the Bible. The high priest took that little boy Joash, who was one year old, and hit him for six years. And when that little boy was seven years old, he called all the mighty men of valor of Israel together into the house of the Lord, told them to have their best swords on and their hand on their swords because Athaliah was reigning as queen over the nation. you got to read it. We don't have time because I want to do this in one sermon. You've got to read it, though. He assigns those men. He tells them if anyone comes within range, kill them. He has all the mighty men of Israel standing there with their hands on their sword and he brings a little seven-year-old boy into the middle of that gathered assembly and they said, God save the king. And they began shouting, God save the king. And Athaliah heard the commotion and came running in, treason, treason. Jehoiada said, don't mess this place up with her blood. Take her out and kill her. And so those mighty men took Queen Athaliah out and killed her, and Joash reigned. I want you to know something about Jehoiada that the Bible wants you to know. Jehoiada, because he was so faithful as a priest in protecting little Joash as a little boy, he was buried with the kings. He was buried with the kings. It's a great story. We've never seen a coronation, but we can read about some of them in the Bible. Men have always enjoyed having a king. That's why Israel wasn't content with a judge. They wanted to look like the other nations around them and have a king that they could look to for their defense, look to for their provision, look to for their leadership, focus all their attention into this man that they would, through taxes and so forth, provide a special dwelling place, special clothing, best sword, best horses, chariots, and so forth. Men have always wanted a great king whether it was following Nimrod and his kingdom of Babel in the beginning, or down through David, or down through other kings. Men have enjoyed having a king, but there's no king like Jesus of Nazareth. And he became king at a coronation. He was crowned, and he was given a throne, and he was given a scepter, and he is in a physical body at this time sitting on a throne. And he was given that 2,000 years ago, and we just want to consider it because a chief message of the gospel is that Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the anointed Messiah and Christ of God. All of those statements meaning the same thing, along with being our Savior. He is our priest and our King together in one office. He is King-Priest, and there's none like unto Him. And we want to look at when He was installed with those powers. As baptized believers, we are citizens of the city of the great king. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to use our Bibles a little bit. We use them entirely for what we believe, but we're going to use them by flipping and looking at some verses to see how often he was spoken of as king. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing his first epistle to his ministerial understudy Timothy, and he, he, he works himself up to, the, to Jesus being a Savior. 
And that being a faithful saying that He came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, I'm the chief sinner that He came to save. And He used me as an example of how low a man and how great a sinner He could save. And He says this in verse 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. They are speaking of the divine nature of God Himself being invisible and the King eternal. Paul loved the concept of a king, and here he throws it out to Timothy in his first epistle. Look at chapter 6 of the same epistle. And you know these words well because I quote them often. I love these words, and I hope that you love them. This is how Paul got Timothy's attention. In verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Amen. That's Paul in a personal letter to Timothy, describing the Lord Jesus Christ, which in His times He shall show. The reason that Jesus Christ has not visibly unveiled Himself to the entire universe is because His long-suffering is waiting for all of God's elect to repent. Then He'll come. We're going to have that read to us in the second service. In His times. Oh, He could do it right now. It's no lack of power. It's no lack of a crown, a throne, or a scepter. It's poor timing. And you should be thankful that it wasn't 50 years ago. Or it wouldn't have included you. So we don't, we understand this. He shall show, and I can't wait till He shows Himself. He shall show that He is the blessed and only potentate. They look like they're getting away with things from time to time. But they're getting away with nothing. All that's happening in heaven is wrath is increasing. That's all that's happening. Wrath is increasing until He unleashes it on this world and it will burn this place up in fire. Genesis chapter 49. Let's look at some prophecies about our King. We have a King. Genesis chapter 49, Jacob on his deathbed, with his sons gathered around. We come to the fourth son in verse 8. Genesis 49, verse 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal under the vine, and his asses cold under the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. 
The scepter in verse 10 shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be, and that's you and me. He has gathered us into this assembly this day on this earth as his sons and brethren, and we worship him as our king. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He united both Jews and Gentiles into one body over which he reigns as the head of the church and the king of his kingdom. That was a prophecy there in the Bible. And when you read those words, it's glorious. He's a lion. For those of you that read Revelation chapter 5, John wept because there was no one to take the book out of the hand of him that sat on the throne until the lion of the tribe of Judah arrived, fulfilling this prophecy. And John saw him. And all of heaven, oh, forget the numbers that attended David's coronation. Forget the numbers and the, and the mighty man of, Joash, of Joash's coronation. When you read Revelation chapter 5, did you see all the choirs there? Did you see that first of all the saints burst out and sang that thou art worthy to, to be praised and to worship because you have redeemed us by your blood? Then the angels burst out with worthy is the Lamb. The song, Worthy is the Lamb, was not sung by the saints, but by the angels. And then every creature in heaven and in earth, all the creatures in heaven and earth, broke forth with a third chorus. And who said amen in that assembly? The four beasts said amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that sat on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. What a picture. That's, that was the coronation. He was given a crown, a scepter, and a throne. We're looking at some of the prophecies at the moment. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. Here is a king that stood up against the Lord. His name was Balak, king of Moab. I know how I'll defeat Israel. I'm going to hire Balaam to curse them. Now, if you can hire a prophet... His curse shouldn't mean a whole lot. But to King Balak, he didn't grasp that combination. So he goes ahead and hires Balaam. And Balaam is supposed to come and curse Israel and bless Moab. Because in battle, the Moabites couldn't do it. So they thought that if he got a curse on the nation, maybe he could be victorious. And so we read in Numbers chapter 24, some of Balaam's words. And you know the story. You know that God opened the, the mouth of the dumb ass. Dumb meaning in a, unable to speak. And that ass forbade the madness of the prophet for a while. And then the Lord turned the curses of Balaam into blessings. What? You want to hear a blessing? You know what we read in Psalm 2? Be wise now, therefore, O you kings, and kiss the sun. You want to hear a blessing? Numbers 24 and verse 17. Here is Balaam taking up his parable. Oh, let's go ahead and get 16. Let's go ahead and get 15. Just so that you'll see the context. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. And here it is. Here's what he saw and learned. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, 
and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. What did God say to the Lord Jesus Christ? I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now David did some of this, but this was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. A star and a scepter coming out of Jacob and out of Israel. We've read Psalm 2. Let's look at Psalm 45 just for a moment. Psalm 45 for a moment. I'm not going to spend much time in Psalm 45 because for those of you that love the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that before your head hits the pillow tonight, you'll read Psalm 45 yourself in light of what we cover today. Psalm 45 is one of the regal psalms about Jesus as King. Psalm 45 and verse 1, My heart is indicting a good matter. And we are considering a good matter at this moment. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. That is not Solomon. That's the one greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. If we come down to verse 6, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Those words are quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 because they are describing the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That is the Lord Jesus Christ from Hebrews 1. This is a prophecy. There was some king coming that would be blessed forever. He's addressed as God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses change that to the throne of God is forever and ever. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Because And Jesus is addressed as God. And the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Here is a king coming that is going to rule in righteousness, and he's going to be anointed. Let's, that word anointed. Remember Messiah, the anointed one of God, the anointed king. Christ, all same word in Greek. Go read John chapter 1 where it says Messiah, being by interpretation Christ. Right. Same word, the anointed king. Because a king had to be anointed. God didn't, you know, remember Samuel poured what over the head of David? Oil, Oil to anoint him king. Aaron had to be anointed by oil poured over his head. Jesus' both offices, he was anointed by God, not with oil mixed up by the Levites. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost above all his fellows. He got the superior measure of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost, as he proved by his life that we're able to read about in the Scriptures. Look at Psalm 110. Psalm 110. I, don't, I know we could spend more time at Psalm 45. Spend it there. Go on the website and look up a sermon on, from Psalm 45 preached about five years ago or so. Pull out your Psalter. 
Pick your favorite common meter tune and sing it. If you love this king at all, he doesn't miss a single syllable you utter in his praise. Psalm 110, we already had this read to us by a brother that stood and read Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, the Lord, all caps, said unto my Lord, smaller case, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord, Jehovah again, shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. This is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ, quoted in Acts chapter 2, applied by Peter to Jesus of Nazareth, whom they had crucified. Verse 5, The Lord, notice small letters, The Lord at thy right hand, the right hand of God, shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in a conspiracy. I believe in a conspiracy of God and His anointed to overthrow the world and all their political systems. And I know the future. He wins. Somebody ought to get a handful of those bumper stickers. I know the future. God wins. Or Jesus wins. Psalm 110. This is a prophecy. Building. Building. Jesus appealed to this prophecy when He had asked the Pharisees, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is He? And then Peter preached this in Acts chapter 2 that we've had read to us. You know Isaiah 9, 6. The Lord would give a son. The government would be upon His shoulder. Of the increase of that government, there would be no end, and it would never end. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 23. As we come through the Bible. Oh, all their kings died. David died. So they didn't have David anymore. Then Solomon wasn't a king like David. And then Solomon's son Rehoboam was inferior even to Solomon. Oh, they needed a king. They wanted a king. And they had a king promised. All the way from Jacob's deathbed, there would be a king that would reign forever. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is His name whereby He shall be called the Lord our Righteousness. And we could, you could go on and read wonderful words, but this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are Judah, and you are Israel, the Israel of God and the true Jew. And you have been saved and delivered, and you have a king, and nothing can separate you from, out of His hand, because God has given you to Him, and He will deliver you without fail. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, His other name, the Lord our Righteousness. Love Him. Serve Him. We want to hear. What we want to accomplish this morning is to hear about the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to love Him more. And to serve Him better. Right. And to repent of our foolishness. And to be faithful citizens of His kingdom. We don't want just an intellectual review of what the Bible says about Him. But we want to be moved to serve Him better. Look, we, oh, Jeremiah 33 is so beautiful, but it's too long, and we've been there in recent weeks. We're adding Scripture upon Scripture for you to learn your Bibles. Jeremiah 33 was, 
I have made a covenant with David, and you can no more break my covenant with David than you can break the covenant of the day and the night. If you can break the covenant of the day and the night, then maybe you can get rid of my anointed king. You can't, so you can't. Jesus Christ is king. Let's go to Ezekiel. Let's try Ezekiel. Where do you want to go in Ezekiel? There are several references. Let's go to 37. To save time, I don't, I'm not going to read long context, but they could be read. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now David's been dead for 500 years. David, my servant, shall be king over them. That's not David literally. That's David mystically in the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein. There will be a covenant of peace made with them in verse 26. I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. This is verse 27. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is describing the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, which does not know any racial difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. They're all one nation under one shepherd. He has gathered the people together into one body, which is his church the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Look at Hosea. Daniel, Joel, Hosea. A few more books. Digging deeper into the Old Testament, into the Minor Prophets. Hosea chapter 10. We call them minor because they don't have 50 chapters like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Not that their message is less important. Hosea chapter 3. This promise of a king. Verse 5. Afterward, Hosea 3.5. Afterward, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. There's the restoration of the kingdom of David and David reigning again. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom is not the kingdom of physical Israel, but the kingdom is the church of Jesus Christ made up of Jews and Gentiles. Which is why James in Acts chapter 15 said that the conversion of Gentiles was the building again of the tabernacle of David. With David, son, the Lord Jesus Christ, reigning. So these are the prophecies working through... I didn't even start with Genesis 3. The seed of the woman would destroy the serpent by bruising his head. We started with Genesis 49... But as we come through the Bible, we see promises of a king. And oh, I hope you rejoice in the king God has sent. We had read to us Luke chapter 1. We don't need to turn to it again. You saw read to you this morning that the angel Gabriel told Mary, the son that you're going to give birth to is the son of the highest. He will sit on his father David's throne and he'll rule over the kingdom of God forever. We could go to the angelic host and what they announced to those shepherds about the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at Matthew chapter 2. We're looking at the birth of the king. Every king has to be born. Every king that reigns among men, every human king must eventually be born in order to be a king. 
You know what God told all the angels when He brought His first begotten Son into the world? Let all the angels of God worship Him. And so they burst the sky open over the fields of Judea to praise the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, who was at that moment lying in a manger. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Were these men mistaken? Did they find the right place? Did they find the right person? Was he a king? Was he the king of the Jews? Indeed. We just read that in about ten prophecies. He was the king of the Jews. Maybe five or seven. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. What should Herod have done? He should have kissed the son. He should have kissed the son, but he didn't kiss the son. And just go Google your, just go Google Herod the Great and read about his life and death. Herod the Great. He should have listened to these men. And then when he asked the Jewish scribes, Where would this king be born? They didn't say, oh, there's no more king coming for us. You're our only king. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. And so he set himself against that king by destroying all the young children in the region around Bethlehem. They set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. And Jesus was down in Egypt, and he came back, and then he went to heaven, and then he sat down. And that is a bad sequence of events for Herod the Great. There will be vengeance for all those babies around Bethlehem. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. By the grace of God, I have a son named Nathaniel. Nathaniel, do you want to hear about Nathaniel? John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip findeth Nathaniel. That's happened a few times in our family. Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Amen. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. If you were impressed that I, that I saw you under the fig tree and that I did know you were under a fig tree before Philip got there, that's nothing compared to what you're going to see. But notice the testimony of Nathaniel. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. He was the King of the Jews. Just as prophesied, the King that would come out of Judah and that would reign over his people, Israel. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, the life of the king before his coronation. He's already be calling, he's already being called king because he's going to be king. And in the sense that he was the person that would be king, he's addressed as king. But he hasn't been crowned yet. He hasn't had all his enemies put under his feet yet. As of these chapters that we're reading. John chapter 12 gives us a different wording for what we had read to us this morning from Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, we saw the children of Israel, the children, strawing the way with branches off of trees for the Lord Jesus Christ to come riding into Jerusalem and crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna meaning, Jehovah, save me. Jehovah, save now. Hosanna. With the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Look at John 12. I want a little different reading to give you a further explanation about the Son of David. Verse 12, John 12, 12, On the next day much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. In Matthew 21 it said, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Here it tells us a little bit more information. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they treated him like a king. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. And there's another prophecy fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah 9.9, that he would be on an ass's colt, and he would come as a king into Jerusalem, which he did. Pilate knew that Jesus was king. He put it in three languages at the top of the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Because he had asked Jesus, Art thou a king? Thou sayest it. And so he put it up there. You know, he was a timid compromiser. He washed his hands he knew that he was betraying, he, he knew that he was killing innocent blood, but he was afraid of the Jews for his political office more than he was afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ. He should have kissed the son. But his last little bit of revenge against the Jews was to put a, a poster over the head of Jesus that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, in Latin, in Greek, and in Hebrew. Anyone in that city would have known what Pilate thought of Jesus of Nazareth, but he didn't think very highly of him or he wouldn't have touched him. Right. As 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us. Turn to Psalm 8, please. Psalm 8. The coronation of the king. We see all the prophecies of the king. We see the birth of the king. We see his life, that Nathaniel recognized him as a king, that the angels did, that the wise men did. Let's see his coronation. 
Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Where was that fulfilled? Psalm 8, 2. It was fulfilled when those children were crying out, Hosanna to the King of Israel. But the Pharisees got very upset with such language being used to describe Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, have you never read Psalm 8, 2? Have you never read? God has ordained wisdom out of the mouths of babes, since you men can't figure it out. And that was to shut their mouths. The children of Israel understood it, and they, the learned scholars, did not. Now come to verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. That's Psalm 8. Please don't forget that the sheep, the oxen, the beasts, and fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the sea, are under Man's dominion. Let's go to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, where Paul quotes this passage. He uses inductive reasoning. Inductive reasoning is where you take a number, the more the, more the better, of individual facts and put them all together and come to a conclusion. And we're going to see inductive reasoning by the Apostle Paul using Psalm 8. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. Remember Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 are Paul proving that Jesus of Nazareth is superior to the angels. Hebrews 2, 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified. Who is the one? David. What's the certain place? Psalm 8. Okay, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Paul is drawing some reasoning. Man is a lowly being that doesn't warrant the attention or visitation of God. God made man relative in his creation inferior to the angels. God has taken lowly man and exalted him with authority, glory, and honor. He's put man over all the works of his creation and given him dominion and put all things under His feet. Since God said He would put all things under the feet of man, then there is nothing accepted that is not under the feet of man. 
But at the present time, we do not see all things under the feet of man. We don't see death under his feet. We don't see the devil under his feet. We don't see all those things under the feet of man. So Paul pulls all these lines of reasoning out of Psalm 8. But we don't see it. That Psalm 8 said that God would crown man with glory and honor and put him over all the works of his hands and put all things under his feet. But we don't see all things under his feet. Hebrews 2.9. I love the New Testament. Amen. How would you understand Psalm 8 if you didn't have Hebrews 2? But we see Jesus. Right. We see Jesus. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Amen. We see Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. Why was he made a little lower than the angels? Because angels don't die. Angels are spirits that don't have a physical body and blood to die. So he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. It says that in Hebrews 2.9. And how do we see Jesus now? Crowned with glory and honor. He is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. But we see Jesus. Paul pulls all these lines of reasoning out of Psalm 8 and says, but now we don't, we don't see Psalm 8 fulfilled. We see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ because he's the one that's been crowned with glory and honor. For the suffering of death, he was made lower than the angels, and for his suffering by death, he was crowned with glory and honor by God, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Jesus was made lower than the angels only when he was humiliated on this earth and spent 33 and a half years as the Son of Man. He was crowned with glory at his exaltation in heaven. He was given power over all things, and all things were put under his feet. It says here that he tasted death for every man. Let's not leave this passage before we look at those words. It was all of grace that anyone was ever given to the Lord Jesus Christ to die. It's every man that God gave to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this from the rest of the Bible. When we find a verse of Scripture, that we have a two-step approach to understanding that verse. We first of all determine what it cannot mean so that it would not contradict the rest of the Bible. The second step is to look for its positive interpretation of what it does mean, usually by its context or comparing Scripture with Scripture. It was all of grace that God chose sinners in Jesus Christ. It was all of grace that God made the death of Jesus Christ acceptable to Him so that we could be accepted by Him. The Bible teaches us that in numerous places that we could go for. Therefore, every man must be limited. If every man means every single man, then hell is empty. Because if Jesus tasted death for them, only a God that was not just and was not righteous would ever force any other man to taste death for himself. Hell would be empty. Couldn't be every man. Jesus tasted death for every man. He went through death for them. So they don't have to go through it themselves. So first of all, we understand it can't mean what the Arminian wishes it meant. Because everything we read about who were given to the Lord Jesus Christ and for whom He was to die were given to Him and He didn't lose a single one of them. And it wasn't the whole human race. It was those of the elect of God that were given to Him. 
Hold your, let me just read you a verse from uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. Who are those that shall never taste of death? Because Jesus tasted death for them. They that keep my commandments. It's the elect of God that obey Him that give the evidence of being those that shall never taste of death because Jesus Christ tasted it for them. Oh, there's many that will taste of death in all of its degrees. Physical death and then right on into the second death. So it couldn't be every man because there are some that do not taste of death. And they're the ones for whom Jesus Christ died. We know that He tasted death for those that were given to Him by covenant. I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. We quote that John 6. We quote John 17. We go to other places and we know that Jesus Christ tasted death for those given to Him by covenant for whom He was to die. But now look at the context. Once we prove, can't be every man, hell would be empty. Can't be every man because it's only those that obey God that don't taste of death themselves. It can't be because Jesus said that He would save every single one that He tasted death for. It can't be every single man without exception. It's got to be understood in some other context. And sure enough, look at when we start. What happens when we start reading? Verse ten: For it became Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many. Sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him, And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Do you need a few more verses to explain what he meant by every man in this context? In this context, he defines every man by the sons, the brethren, the church, and the children that were given to him. And how were they given to him? By predestination in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6 having predestinated them unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made them accepted in the Beloved. And this is the every man, every man that God gave to me, who are my sons, my brethren, the church, and the children that God gave me. He tasted death for them, and not a single one will be lost. That's how we understand the Bible. You say, well, the words every man just sound like they have to be Every man. Well, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul said that he warns and teaches every man. Was he successful with sitting bull? The Apostle Paul's ministry was very limited to one generation of time, to one little geographical segment of the world. But he said that he warned and taught every man. How do we understand that? Every man that he met and that was under the hearing of His Word, He warned them, and He taught them. Just like we understand here. 
Let me give you one more. Uh, we, Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man. every man presseth into it. Does that mean most of Israel or all of Israel? Or just some of Israel? No. Just some of Israel. But we understand every man that every man that got into the kingdom of God pressed into it. And so we understand Hebrews chapter 2. But the main thing we want out of this verse is what the explanation is for Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Man is nothing. What would you take so much recognition of a man for that you would crown him with glory and honor and put all things under his feet and give him dominion over your entire creation? All created beings under the feet and in, under the dominion of a man. What is man that you would do that? And, and Paul says we look at the circumstances and this can't be true because all things are not under the feet of man. You and me. But we see Jesus. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. That's where we'll end right now. But he was crowned with glory and honor. That is the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made lower than the angels, and then he was made far above all angels. Amen. Crowned with glory and honor. He was made lower than the angels in order to die. Because he died so willingly, he was made higher than all the angels, and all things were put under his feet. And there was a coronation service in heaven where, first of all, the redeemed break forth into praise, then the angels, then all creatures, then the four beasts, and then the four and twenty elders. And there's nothing left in heaven that wasn't praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was one coronation. Forget Joash and the men with their hands and their swords. How about an innumerable company of angels that had their swords and they were singing praise? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain.